For those that are joining us online, uh, let's get our Bibles out and pick up where we left off in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you didn't bring a Bible, just grab the one that's in front of you in the pew in front of you, page 1070. If you don't have a Bible, take that one home as our gift to you. I want you to follow along with us. We're studying verse by verse through the book of 2 Corinthians which is what we do. We study books of the Bible in the order in which, through them, in the order in which God gives them to us because we believe that that is the most profitable way to study the Bible. And so whatever God wants us to talk about will be the next thing that comes up in the passage of Scripture that's before us. And so uh, we want to hear from God. Listen, There is no greater uh, blessing than hearing the voice of God except obeying the voice when you hear it. Because when you obey it, amazing things begin to unfold in your life. God's voice becomes more prevalent in your life. You then become more attuned to what he's saying. You realize that oftentimes what God is saying seems scary at first or um, uh, risky or whatever the case may be, yet there's nothing like the voice of God to lead you into places you never dreamed that you would be. So on the topic of the voice of God, as I was listening to those testimonies, I was so encouraged by so many things, but as I was thinking, uh, when Jonah came down And to talk to me, which is not unusual. I mean, I've known her for 17 years. But when she started talking to me about baptism, I got this big smile on my face, which she was a little confused about. Like, are you laughing at me right now? And I said, no. And she said, I know this is crazy. I said, yeah, it's kind of crazy, but it's not the craziest thing. And I always say, let me tell you a little story. You know... Tony that grew up in an atheist family, never went to church, never went inside a church, never had a Bible, held a Bible, knew anything about a Bible, marries the preacher's daughter who's never been out of church her whole life, who knows everything about the Bible, memorized the book of John. I couldn't even find the book of John. She's memorized the book of John. Every time her dad would uh, take people to a new river and have baptism service. As a child, she would get baptized again because she just thought it was fun. So God calls atheist upbringing Tony into the ministry. So everything, I get saved, my life turns upside down. The next thing I know, God's voice is calling me into the ministry. And you talk about crazy. So finally, after this period of wrestling and fighting and trying to wonder if I was schizophrenic and needed a psychologist or psychiatrist, if I finally surrendered to that, the first Sunday that I'm on staff here, we're in that building over there. I'm standing down front. The service is over. People are responding to the invitation. I look up and my wife's walking down and I'm thinking, well, she's coming to pray at the altar. And then she's coming, 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 but she doesn't veer over. She just keeps coming. Then she comes straight up to me, and I'm thinking, what are you doing? (laughs) And she goes, I need to get baptized. I go, what? (laughs) 
that's impossible. You've been baptized seven times. And she's like, I need to get baptized. I'm like, couldn't you have talked to me about this before right now? So I've already lived this journey where, you know, she couldn't get peace because her baptism was out of order. And she knew she was saved, just like Jonah. She knew she was a Christian. She knew God was uh, present in her life. But every time the topic of baptism came up, she felt conviction. And I just tell you that story to encourage you on top of what you've already heard this morning. That when you hear the voice of God, just realize what a treasure it is that he's speaking to you. And then obey. Obey. All right. Last week, we talked about generosity. So those of you that are guests with us, you're like, glad I wasn't here last week. Well, amen. Let's get through this week, and we'll see how you feel about that. But uh, this week, I experienced uh, one of the most extraordinary acts of generosity that I've, I've ever experienced. Now, what's surprising about it is, just like I told you last week, not that it happened because you are an extraordinarily generous church. And so uh, generosity is not something that we as a faith family struggle with. We're not all on board, but so many of you are so incredibly generous. And so... uh, I'm so grateful for that. But when uh, a young couple in the church called me and said they wanted to talk to me, and then I said, okay, and so we sit down and talk, and they're sitting there, and they have this gift in their hand, this bag in their hand, and uh, they hand it to me, and I open it up and I'm a little perplexed at what is happening and uh, I said okay explain this and they said God spoke to us and I said amen and they said we knew that it was God and so We're going to obey what God says. So I said, wow, it's uh, it's like last Sunday's sermon really struck a chord. And they said, what are you talking about? And I said, what I said last Sunday morning, I said, the, the way you know generosity is supernatural is it's always surprising. And right now, I'm trying to catch my breath. And they said, we were out of town last week. I said, you, you didn't watch it online? Nope. You don't have any idea what I said last week? None. At that moment, there's nothing left to do but worship. It's just an amazing God we serve. Amen. Amazing. And so the 
The Corinthians, we've been talking about for weeks, Paul says their, their life has been restricted by their affections. So he's been dealing with their affections. So this morning we're going to continue and finish up chapter 8 and move into chapter 9. Let's pray together before we study. Father, thank you for this day that you've given us to interact with your perfect and errant word. Thank you for speaking. You're such an amazing Father and such a good God that you would speak to your people. What an encouragement it is that the God of the universe who reigns sovereignly over all things would speak to people, ordinary people. Thank you for your goodness towards us. Your voice is such a treasure. We're grateful to be a part of a people where you're active. Holy Spirit, come. Give us ears to hear that we might know the things that you're saying to us today. And we promise to give you all the glory, praise, and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Paul, for literally... Over a year since back in 1 Corinthians, because if you remember back in 1 Corinthians, Paul started talking about this offering that he's taking up for the churches, uh, the church in Jerusalem because of their, their dire need. But they were not only in the midst of a famine, they were not only being persecuted, but these Jewish converts to Christianity, what had happened in Jerusalem, according to uh, historians, is that the 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 economics had completely collapsed because the Jews would not do business with anyone who was a Christian or they wouldn't do business with anyone who hired a Christian. So the, the, the converts to follow Jesus who owned businesses were struggling to stay afloat and the people who worked were struggling to find work because basically The persecution was making them almost blacklisted in almost every way. And so Paul had great compassion. And so he began talking about uh, this offering that he's going to take to Jerusalem. uh, For about two years he talked about it. But he told the Corinthians a year earlier in 1 Corinthians 16. Here's what he said. Now concerning the collection for the saints as I directed the churches of Galatia. So you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry this gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable, then I would go also. They will accompany me. So Paul lays out this plan that he has to take up this offering from all the churches in Philippi, Galatia, Corinth. But not only that, but how he's going to deliver it to the the brothers and sisters in need in Jerusalem. So if you have your listening guide, here's the first thing we recognize when we start looking at today's text. Is that what we do and how we do it matters way more than we think. So oftentimes, if you were just reading through the Bible, you would just pass through this section of Scripture and just think this was some sort of, you know, just some informational uh, uh, section that was just giving us direction about something else. And yet there's so many powerful principles to be found in this. 
And one of the things is to wake us up to realize that what we do and how we do it, it matters. It matters to God. It matters more than you can imagine. And we get lulled into our own world and into our own uh, uh, sort of situations and circumstances and just sort of go about life just, you know, trying to one day at a time, trying to just get through life, not considering the spiritual eternal implications. So 2 Corinthians 8, we're going to pick up in verse 16. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 16. So after a discussion about what generosity is, Paul says... But thanks be to God who put into your heart or put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. So he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to do it of his own accord. With him, we're sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. So Paul's talking about the offering and how he's going to get it to Jerusalem. Verse 20, we take this course so that no one should blame us about the generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable Not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them, we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many ways, but also is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, They are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. So Paul's sending three people, a delegation, to collect the money that Corinth has promised to to take up a year earlier. And he says, Titus is going to lead the delegation. There's going to be this person who's unnamed, but who's a famous preacher that evidently everybody in Corinth knows. Maybe it's a Apollos. We don't know. And then this other person who is a tested brother who's very earnest. So we have earnest, we have Titus, and we have Vern, this great preacher. And so there they're going to go and they're going to do this, and, and there's the credentials, and this is why Paul's being so careful about what he's doing and how he's doing it, because Paul realizes that we're stewards of God's reputation. See, it seems like a bunch of trivial information, but it's very important because what Paul's doing is Paul's saying, no, the way this happens is very important because People are watching. God is watching. This matters. Remember back in chapter 5, Paul says we're ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. So if, we're, if he's not making his appeal through us, then we're failing in what we've been called to be. And the appeal has to be the appeal of God or we're 
not being ambassadors. See, because an ambassador is an appointed person called to live in a foreign land that's not their own, called to share a message that's not their own because they've been delegated, they've been sent. They, they speak on behalf and in the authority of another. And so it's, vi- it's very important to Paul and it should be very important to us that the way things are done, the things that we do, how we do them, they matter so much. If we could just realize that Our life is our message, but also that our message is our life. That what is more important than the message that your life is speaking? Because no matter who you are, no matter where you live, work, play, do, there are people around you that are watching you. None of us live in a vacuum. And if you claim the name of Christ, people are watching you and what they see is going to determine in large part what they think about Christ. His reputation. Listen, people don't typically wake up one day and think, I'm going to start reading the Bible. That never crossed my mind growing up. I wouldn't even have known where to start or where to find one. But you know what happens? We encounter Christians. We get exposed to people who claim the name of Christ. And what we understand God to be like is, is shaped oftentimes by what we see in those who claim the name of Christ. I mean, you, you think about we're, if we're called to be ambassadors, if we're called to, to, to give God's message is, is, is through us, well, then just think of simple principles that we all know are true. People believe people they trust. So if you're not trustworthy, then whatever comes out of your mouth is of, it may be the truest thing in the world. But if you're not trustworthy, if the, if the vessel is not trustworthy, then the truest thing in the world comes across tainted and people won't believe it because of who it comes from. See, we have to remember that everyone is forming their perception of who God is and perception no matter how skewed or wrong it may be, is 100% reality to the beholder. They think it's real. And the reason they think it's real is because they've observed people who are religious or who go to church or who claim to be Christians. And so a critical component to us Fulfilling what God's purpose is in our life is our understanding that our life is our message and our message is our life. And it is of the utmost importance to God. And so many times we lose sight of this. I think a helpful way to 
protect yourself from trouble is to ask yourself whenever you're making a decision, whenever you're doing something, you know, what the way that you're, uh, what you're about to do at work or what you're going to do in your, with your family or your friends or whatever the case may be, or you're, you're trying to sort out, you know, should I do this or not do this or whatever, you should ask yourself the question, what does this say about the God who died for me? What does it say? What does this say about the God who died for me? Because if you don't ask the question, the tendency is to just roll with the crowd and to get sucked into things that dishonor the name of the one who gave his life for you and for me. It matters. It matters how we live. It matters who we are, what we say. It matters how we conduct business. It matters. Some of you, listen closely. It matters how you drive. Take that as from the Lord. It matters. Especially if you're on John Clark. Don't go wheeling around somebody 70 miles an hour and then pull into Michael Memorial because then I want to choke you. (laughs) All right, it's out of my system. So Paul's very specific. Look at chapter 9, verse 1. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. In other words, he's already explained all this. They know. They've already covered all this. He says, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia, which is where Corinth is, has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter. So that you may be ready, as I said you would be. One pause right here. It was this verse right here that just got me. Because last Sunday I was boasting about you. Boasting about how awesome you are and how generous you are. And what an amazing family this is to be a part of. And I didn't feel at all like I was stepping out on a limb in any way. I felt completely confident in everything that I was saying. I wouldn't say it if it wasn't true. And I know, I know that some of you are, are immature. And some of you are not at all where you need to be. And that breaks my heart for you. But when... When that couple walked in my office, I thought about that verse right there. It was like God was saying one thing to them, one thing to you, but another thing to me was saying, Tony, don't you worry. You can boast on them because I'm going to remind you of just how true that is. And that's not at all discounting 
so many of you that every day I get multiple messages, emails, text messages from people in the church saying, how's Colby and Haley? What do they need? What can we do for them? How can we help? And I'm so grateful and so thankful. Verse 4, otherwise... If some Macedonians come with me and find out that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. See, remember one of the things we talked about last week and about generosity is that generosity is, uh, is void if, if it's under compulsion. And that's why there's, uh, the Bible teaches that uh, you don't, you don't a, a forced gift is actually a curse on the giver. It's not a gift. And so I tell people all the time, if it's, if you're, if, you've, if you're grudgingly giving, just keep it. God doesn't need it. And we certainly don't need it. And nor do I want it. Because it won't do any good anyway. It's just a curse on you. And so, so here, Paul is now... He's explained how important the details are. But now look at what he's doing. He's sending this team ahead early so that they can go and get this completed because why? He reminds the Corinthians that, that you, you were zealous about this and received this with joy a year ago because the Corinthians haven't completed it. And this is important. Because this is so true in our lives. Committing is easier than completing. So oftentimes, we, like the church at Corinth, have a tendency to commit to something but not follow through. To get to, to feel conviction, to hear the voice of God, and to make some uh, emotional response or promise to God. But then you don't do it. And that is a disaster. And so Paul is just shepherding people he loves to avoid this mistake. Why? Again, it's not because Paul's concern is not that there won't be enough money to help the church at Jerusalem. He's not worried about that. God's going to supply the need. That's not the issue. The issue is Paul is shepherding people. He wants them to know the grace of God so deeply that they live in a generous lifestyle. And so when they hear the voice of God, they obey the voice of God so they don't miss out on the blessing of God. See, the, this whole thing is just illustrative of Paul simply understanding God's economy, teaching a young church how to understand the same thing. Listen, when somebody hands you something that is so 
mind-blowingly sacrificial. Like you can, there's no words that I can give you to describe what I'm talking about. Because I have to be careful not to mess up what God's doing. But I mean mind-blowing sacrifice. I don't know if I've ever seen anything like it. I've seen way, 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 way bigger amounts. I've never seen a greater sacrifice. And I know this, just like you do. That when that voice spoke, there was a great temptation to say, that can't be right. It can't be. And listen. Do you think in that moment, for one second... I tried to say, this is too much. You can't do this. This is nuts. This, there's no way I'm saying that. There's no way. Because I know what Paul knows. See, to say that would be to, to, to say that I don't understand the economy of God. I understand the reason tears began to run down my face is because I understand the blessing of what is happening right in front of my face. I, I know how God's economy works. That's how I got in this mess, you know. It's a dangerous thing to hear his voice and obey it. Things like this happen to you. But so oftentimes we start out with such zeal, but then we run out of steam. You know, it's not how loud you shout and how high you jump, but it's how you walk when your feet hit the ground. Yeah. What happens when we set out to do something for God? What happens when we hear the voice of God and we commit to obey the voice of God? 100% of the time, what happens? It gets harder. Life gets harder. There's going to be tests. There's going to be challenges. Every time, and God allows it to verify, to solidify what, 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 what your true intentions are. It doesn't get easier. It gets harder, of course. And so there's even a greater temptation for us to give up, to stop. What the Bible constantly reminds us to do is to keep moving. Christianity is about moving. We're not we're not stable. We're not stagnant. We're moving. As you're therefore, Colossians 2, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. It's a, it's a lifestyle. You're, you're walking. You're growing. You're hearing. You're listening. You're obeying. You're receiving. You're hearing. You're, you're listening. You're obeying. You're receiving. And on it goes. And, and God keeps moving you to, to greener pastures and to, to newer horizons and to different things. But you see, if you're stuck on committed and you've lost track of completing, well, 
Now at least you know the diagnosis of what's going on. We've tried so hard in our day and age to make Christianity all about going to heaven. It's just so absurd and unbiblical. When you, when you read the Bible, in fact, what you find out is that the assurance of heaven is what makes living out Christianity possible. Christianity's not about going to heaven. If it was, the minute you got saved, you'd be in heaven. Philippians chapter 2. Do all things without grumbling and disputing so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Huh. That doesn't sound like it's all about heaven, does it? No. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, here's what Paul says, that I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. That is a shocking thing. Paul's talking to saved people in the church at Philippi who are going to heaven. And he says, if you don't walk, my whole life's a waste. They're going to heaven. You got that? And he said it would all be in vain. I mean, how could this be? And he's saying, listen, if you don't grow and live and be a witness and make a difference and do what God's called you to do and fulfill his mandate and commission here in this life, the whole thing is just, I might as well have stayed home. Think about what the Bible says. What use is a talent if it's buried in the ground? What good is a fig tree that produces no fruit? What about a light under a basket? See, the point of a light is not to light up. The point of a light is to be seen by other people. The light is lit that's under the basket. So if you make your life about lighting up, it's pointless. If no one sees it, you see, it's the message of the Bible. I mean, we desperately need to rid ourselves of this false idea that Jesus shed his blood simply to buy our way to heaven. So much more than that. Listen, heaven is the, is the beautiful assurance that allows us to do these, these counterintuitive, crazy things to live a, a fearless life for Christ. If it wasn't for heaven, no one would do it. No one could. But if you, if you have interacted with the grace of God in such a way that you understand that nothing can take you out of the palm of his hand, then why are you worried about what other people think? Why are you so worried about keeping up with other people? Why are you so focused on materialism and, and the praise of people's mouths and all these other things when what we ought to do is focus on what is our life saying about the great and glorious God who made a way for us to be with Him forever? I thought about Numbers chapter 32. Let me just 
show you a verse. Numbers 32. This is, this is a famous concept. You may not know where it came from. You just knew it was in the Bible. This is the verse when people say your sins will find you out. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord. And be sure your sin will find you out. That's Moses talking to two of the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is when they're about to go into the promised land. They're about to cross over the Jordan and go take possession of what God's promised them. But two tribes, two tribes want to stay on that side of the river. And they have good reason. They're the shepherding tribes, and, and that, that, that Transjordan plain is a beautiful place for them. But the Gadites and the Reubenites, they wanted to stay over there and not go with the other ten tribes across the way. So they go to Moses and say, listen, we believe this is our inheritance. We want to stay here and not go in over there. This is a, we're the ones who are the shepherds. This is the great land where we can put all of our animals and everything's perfect and we love it over here and it's great. And Moses says, but if you will not do so, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. What sin? See, when they proposed this to Moses, Moses' response was, well, you have to come across and help us fight. You can't stay over here because you're part of us. And so we're dependent upon you and you're dependent upon us and we've come all this way together and we've got to go over there and we've got to defeat the enemy together because that's what we do. We sacrifice for one another. And so Moses says, said to them, if you will do this, If you will take up arms and go before the Lord for the war and every armed man of you will pass over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out the enemies from before him, fine. But if you don't do this, your sin will find you out. Which again causes me to think, how is that a sin? They're not worshiping idols. They're not doing anything immoral. They just said we want to stay over here. Moses, you're the one that's taught us the whole time that God's the one that's defeating our enemies, so why do you need us? It's a good question. Why is this sin? It's sin because it's teaching us the same principle Paul is, that God's people reflect God's character. See, God cares what all the people surrounding, watching His people move across into the land of Canaan. See, he cares about what they see. He cares about what their uh, opinion of him and his reputation is. And he cares about how things are done. And so it's sin. The sin that will find you out is the sin of not following through on what you've committed to do. Because the character of God in Psalm 111, one of a million examples... The works of his hands are faithful and just. All of his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. See, that's God's character. God cares about his character. He cares about his reputation. He cares about what you do and how you do it. That's why he says in 1 Peter 1, Be holy as I'm holy or 
Colossians chapter 3, forgive as Christ forgave you. Or Romans chapter 15, to accept others as I've accepted you. Or Luke chapter 6, to be merciful as your Father is merciful. Or Ephesians 5, love as Christ loved you. Or live in the light as your Father is in the light, 1 John 1. That's what all those verses are for. That's God saying, I care how you live. I care what you do. I care what you say about me. Listen, if you don't want to follow me, you can do whatever you want to do. But if you're going to claim my name, if you're going to commit to things in response to my command, complete them. Follow through. Be faithful. It's a warning to the lukewarm, pew-warming Christian that just wants to Thinks going to church and checking the boxes and everything's fine. No, that's why Paul said back in verse 9 in chapter 8 that you know the grace of our Lord Jesus that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. He's saying, remember how sacrificial God has been towards you. So when you think that what he's calling you to do is crazy or, or just nonsensical or just unbelievably difficult, it's really not. Obey him and see what happens. That's why whenever it comes to these issues of our heart and our affections, God says, test me. Test me. See, that's why God says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. We're living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. Why is that only reasonable service? In light of what he's done, what else would we do? So here it is, God's economy. It's very simple. When we sacrifice, others are served, we are blessed, God is glorified. That's how it works. That's how it works. We sacrifice. Others are served, we are blessed, God is glorified. Our purposes are fulfilled, see? Because our life is our story and our story is our life. So generosity, I think that's what happens here. It becomes contagious when a community or a family of people buy into the reality that God's economy can be trusted to take care of us far better than any other economy. Listen, we can go into recession, we can go into depression, we can go into whatever it is we go into... I'm not dependent on Congress. I'm not depending on the United States Treasury or anything else. I'm dependent on the God of the universe. His economy never fails. It never fails, ever. So maybe you're here this morning 
and you've been hearing God's voice and you haven't been obedient to respond. It starts, first of all, when he's calling you to himself. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. And he knows it's a, it's a fearful thing to, to walk down and talk to a pastor and pour your heart out. God knows that. And I think there's a lot of ways it ought to be fearful. It, it ought to not be quite so easy. Maybe God's been speaking to you about baptism and you're thinking, man, I've been here 17 years or, or, or my husband's the pastor, so how am I going to go down there and tell him I need to get baptized? Well, I don't think anybody in here can top that one. But until you obey, all the richer treasures of heaven are not going to be spoken to you because you haven't obeyed that which has already been said. Maybe you've been just slacking. You just realized this morning that you have not, you've not kept yourself aware of what you do and how you do it matters so much. And there's areas of your life where you haven't been a good steward of God's reputation. Well, that's good because there's forgiveness at the cross. And so you can come and kneel at the altar and talk to your father who loves you and died for you. Let's stand and bow our heads.